Well, amen. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's in the Old Testament, right after Psalms and Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes, some people don't like reading it. They think, oh man, that's just a depressing book, you know. Just everything is worthless. Everything is vanity, is futile. But you know, that's, that may be a theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, but that's not really the lesson of the book. The lesson, the main lesson of Ecclesiastes is this, that you can maximize your life portion. You can maximize your life portion. What do I mean by that? Well, God has given you a portion in life. And your life portion, when I talk about your life portion, I'm talking about your wealth. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talents, your abilities, your experiences, all of these things that make up something that you can spend, that make up something that you can invest in or do something with, this is what I mean by your life portion. And God has given you a life portion. And I call it a portion because it's like having a big meal. You know, we're Baptists, we know about eating. And so if you had a big meal and, a, and you, you're really hungry and someone brought out to you a, a large plate and it was just filled with your favorite foods, uh, and, and so you're, you're very hungry, and you decide you're going to eat some of it, but not all of it. Whatever you decide to eat, that's your portion. And you might throw the rest of it away. You might simply waste it, not eat it at all. And that's the way it is with your life. You have a life portion, and it's a gift from God. And so even your wealth is part of your life portion. Some people say, you know, that, that's not a gift from God. <clears throat> they say, I, I've, I've made my own money, you know, and I've, I've worked hard and I've, I've really striven at, at, in my career and done my very best, and, and that's mine. That's not a gift from God. But listen, that's even a gift from God because no matter how hard you work, no matter what's been given to you, uh, God is the one who granted you your talents. God is the one who gave you the desire to drive and to succeed, in life. And the question of the book of Ecclesiastes is this What are you going to do with your life portion? What are you going to do with it? Now, here's the deal you don't know how much of a life portion you have. You know what you've been given so far, but you don't know what the future holds. You don't know how many years of life you're going to have on this earth. God knows. That's in God's hands. You don't know how much wealth that you're going to accumulate. You might know how much you have right now. But you don't know in the future if that's going to be taken away, if that's going to be added to. You don't know all of the talents and the experiences of life that you're going to be ultimately be given in this life portion of yours. And so with all of this that's unknown, you have to decide, what are you going to do with your life portion right now? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. You could live it up for the moment. You know, it's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just consume and be very selfish and hedonistic and just uh, get everything you can out of life, not worrying about anybody else. But you might guess that this preacher would tell you that there's not a whole lot of lasting joy in that. And what's the reality beyond this life? Is that the kind of reputation, the legacy that you want to leave others, that you were just a selfish person that did everything for yourself and thought of no one else some people go the other extreme they see the the uh, the worthlessness of being very selfish and so they live to withhold pleasures from themselves you know and you could choose that uh, you could become a monk up in the tibetan mountains and starve yourself and 
hide yourself from other people and that kind of thing. But really, what's the point of that? What does that prove? The book of Ecclesiastes gives us the help that we need to use our life portion wisely. And I think this is especially relevant as uh, we grow older in life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to handle growing older and using your life portion wisely. Now, I need to give you one caveat today. Uh, I I prepared this series and this sermon uh, well before my father-in-law, John, who turned 70 today, would be in the audience. I didn't know he'd be here today, and so I'm not picking on John. And uh, there, he's gone. He's out of here. But no, I'm not picking on him, you know. But it's, it's something that all of us have to deal with, no matter what your age in life is. We all know what old age is, right? 15 years older than me. Whatever that is, that's old age, right? You know, and it's tough getting older. Uh, I had a true story two, two days ago. Uh, I was doing some laundry. You know, I went into uh, Dallas-Fort Worth to visit and be with my mom and dad for my mom's surgery. And, Came back, had some laundry I needed to get done. And so I uh, did a load of lights. And I thought, I'm just going to throw my pillowcase in there. So I grabbed my pillowcase, threw my pillowcase in there, washed it, dried it. Didn't think much about it. Forgot it was actually in the dryer. And uh, then later that evening, of course, time to go to bed. And Amy had already crashed. Lights were out. She's asleep. And I crawl into bed and I put my head down. There's no pillowcase on my pillow. Well, I can't sleep that way. And so I get up, and I reach down into the laundry, and I, and I don't pay attention. I, I grab what I think is my pillowcase, and I put it on my pillow, go to sleep. Then fast forward 24 hours. I'm getting ready for bed last night. I look at my pillowcase. There's a large white T-shirt on my pillow. <laughs> and I laughed, and Amy said, what? I said, I put, a, I put a shirt on my pillow. She said, oh, I know. I didn't say anything about it. And I I thought, you know, you're really getting old when you've reached that point where your spouse sees you do something crazy and doesn't doesn't want to waste your time about it. You know, he's just getting old. He's just that way. Uh, But Chuck Swindoll, he describes getting older. He said, you know, when you get old, everything hurts. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. He said, you're getting old when you sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. You're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't. He said, you're getting old when that little gray-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. He said, you know you're really getting old when you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. Uh, you know, so it's, it's tough getting old. I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit about it. But, you know, one of the great things about the Bible is that the Bible presents a real picture of life. The Bible's not into fairy tales and make-believe. The Bible presents life as it really happens. And the Bible talks about getting older. It's, it's God's perspective, and God's perspective is always reality. And so God talks about what it's like to get older, and the Bible presents aging as a normal, natural process of life. Our society, though, tries to keep people young forever. Our society glorifies those that are young and diminishes those that are growing older and more gray and more wrinkly and and all of the things that we have to go through. Um, If you really want to sell something in society, what you need to do is find a perfect-looking supermodel, and that person can be your pitch man or pitch woman. But the Bible says that there's honor in growing older. There's honor in growing older. Why is that? 
Because normally, when you grow older, two things that you already possess uh, normally increase. And I'm not talking about your blood pressure or your waistline. I'm talking about experience and wisdom. Experience and wisdom. For example, Proverbs 16, 31 says, A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. I like that. Every day I get a little bit more and more of my crown coming in, as my kids will tell you. A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Proverbs 20, verse 29, likewise says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. It's not something to be ashamed of or be afraid of. It's part of the normal process of life, and it means that you've acquired experience and wisdom. Scripture tells us that no matter how old you get, life is really short. It's really brief, even for those that live a long time. In James chapter 4, verse 14, we read, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is like a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. So how do we handle this? How do we handle growing older? Well, like we mentioned earlier, you could just sort of live for the moment. Try to grab all you can of life for your own self and your own glory. But there's a problem with that. The problem with that is living for the moment is futile. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, and what we're going to do today, just so you understand... We're going to uh, get sort of an eagle's eye view of the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes. It's a little different than what we normally do. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, we read, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever you know one of the most difficult realities of growing older is that we're mortal we're not going to live forever and everything we work for everything we accomplished in the end does it really matter did it matter i mean what's the point of becoming a millionaire or what's the point of being at the top of your career What's the point of even being a good person? What's the point of it all? I mean, at some point, this is a harsh reality, but at some point after your funeral, everyone's going to go back about their daily lives. And that's a, that's a tough thing to swallow, but it's reality. On the surface, it seems like, boy, everything we do is futile. What's the point of any of it? And here's the kicker. We can't stop doing it. We can't stop. Look at verse 8. The last part of verse 8 says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. It's like we're in a meaningless loop. So our eyes constantly see, our ears constantly hear, and everything our eyes see and everything our ears hear is worthless. It's meaningless. It's futile. It doesn't really matter in the end. It all adds up to worthlessness. And so you work and you achieve and you're, you try to be a good spouse and you try to be a loving parent and finally someday you retire and at the end, what do you have left? And that's the great question that old age makes us answer. And Ecclesiastes talks about this 
And it tells us that one of the ways that you can handle growing older is by investing your life portion in something beyond yourself. Investing your life portion in something beyond yourself. You see, you and I, we're not in control of how long we live. But what we can control is how we use the time that we're given. And as we grow older, we begin to feel the impact of mortality. The body doesn't respond like it used to. The mind doesn't think like it used to. Many of us reach a point in life where we move from simply wanting to be personally significant to establishing a legacy. Let me say that again. Many of us reach a point in life where we move from just wanting to be personally significant. I want significance in this life. We move from there to where we want to leave a legacy. You see, early on in our lives, as we're growing, as we're growing, uh, as we're growing up and we're young, man, we're invincible. We can do anything. You know, we're never going to die, we think. I got the whole world by the tail. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be rich and famous. I'm going to be whatever I dream to be. I'm going to be significant personally in this life. But then as we grow older, we begin to face an inescapable truth. Our years on this earth are limited. Maybe we're not as rich or as famous or as significant as we thought we would be when we were younger, as we planned to be. And so we move into a new phase. Not just how can I get the most out of life for me, but how can I leave a legacy after I'm gone? And so many times we look into projects that we can invest our life, our life uh, 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 promises and all of the things that we were given. We look for things that we can invest in in our lives. We see people that will give millions of dollars to universities so that their name can be on the side of a, of a building. Or maybe we see someone who give, establishes a scholarship in their own name. They're looking for a way to leave a legacy. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you'll turn to that chapter, beginning in verse 3. Solomon faced this, and he said in verse 3, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. So in other words, he's going to get everything he can out of life. And how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. Verse 4, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had homeborn slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of many men, many concubines. And so Solomon started gathering all these things to himself. He was looking for all the pleasures of life because he knew that he was very wise. And all he needed to do to add to his wisdom was establish for himself a bunch of pleasures, things that he could get out of life. Going to grab everything I can get was his attitude. And then he began to realize the folly of it all. Look at verse 14. 
He says, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. Man, what's the point? Here's Solomon, the wisest man on the earth. And his end, death, will be the same as the guy down the street who's drooling on himself. What's the point of being wise? What's the point of being rich? What's the point of grabbing everything that you can if in the end you die? Verse 18, Solomon continues. He says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Solomon makes a really good point. He makes a really good point. You can leave a legacy that can outlive your life. But in the end, when you die, everything you leave, you leave in someone else's hands. What assurances do you have that those who follow you will continue your legacy? That they will have the same characteristics as you, the same principles as you? That they will live as godly a life as you? You don't have any assurances of that, none whatsoever. You see, every earthly project that you invest your life portion in has unsure uncertain value and significance in the end everything you invest your life in on this earth you are uncertain if it will last because you don't know about the people in whose trust you've placed all of that stuff so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 9 Solomon says what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils what's the reason what profit is there you can work hard all of your life you can be a good person you can be a loving spouse you can be a wonderful parent you can live a life of personal significance where at the end of your life you, you are able to say you know, I'm happy with the way things turned out. You can even go so far as to leave a legacy that will outlive you. Even if you do all that, Solomon says, there's no guarantee that the people who follow you will honor your memory or continue your legacy. So here's the question. Can you... Invest your life portion in something that is guaranteed to continue throughout eternity? Well, the answer to that is yes. Absolutely you can. And we see a hint of it in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes. <coughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever there is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it for God has so worked that men should fear him everything that God does will last forever everything that man does at 
best has an uncertain future. The work of man has no lasting guarantees, but the work of God is guaranteed to last forever. Therefore, we should invest our life in God's work. If it is only God's work that is guaranteed to last forever, isn't it best for you and I to invest ourselves in God's work? Jesus put it this way, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Henry Blackaby famously said, Find out where God is working and join him there. So that's the question. Where is God at work? Where's God working? I submit to you that God is working in the hearts of the lost to save them. If you want to join God in his work, then join God there. Pray for someone that you know who is lost, for that person to be saved. Love them with the love of Christ. And when you're given opportunity, introduce them to Christ. I submit to you that God is also working in the lives of believers to prepare a bride for his son. And so if you want to join God in his work, be active serving his church. Be active serving the bride of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we learn about what it means to serve God in the church. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength by which God supplies. We should be loving lost people and praying for them and leading them to Christ, and we ought to be serving in God's family. These are the places where God we know is at work. We know he's at work there. You know, some Christians, unfortunately, have who've known the Lord for a long time have made the decision to stop serving God. I've heard people say, you know, I've done my part. It's someone else's turn. But let me encourage you to never retire from serving God. If you want to retire from uh, your career, that's your choice. You need to make the wisest decision you need to make there, but never retire from serving God. You may not be able to serve him in the same manner as before, but as long as we're on this earth, we have a role to play. You see, older believers have a great wealth, a treasure of wisdom that younger believers need to know. I mean, some of y'all have been married for 40 years, 50 years or more. But there are younger believers who are in year one or two, and they're thinking, how are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? They need to hear how you lived with one another for that long. There's a guy in the 1700s 
by the name of George Whitfield, an amazing evangelist. He was from England. He was an Anglican uh, pastor. And he was one of the men, along with Jonathan Edwards, who God used to establish the Great Awakening in the American colonies before our country was even formed. And George Whitfield, uh, he was growing older in his years, and he was growing more tired in, in his body, and he could feel it. And he had served the Lord so, so faithfully and toiled for so many years, and he was sitting with a group of other older men. And they were talking about life, and, and Whitfield told his friends that, you know, I'm sort of weary of these burdens of this life, and I'm glad that my work on earth will soon be over, and I can go home and be with the Lord. And some other men joined him in that same kind of sentiment, and they admitted they felt the same way, except for one man. The man sitting right next to George Whitfield, just a man no one had really heard of before, but his name was Mr. Tennant. And Mr. Tennant didn't speak up. He didn't agree with all the others, but he didn't disagree out loud. But Whitfield noticed that he was strangely quiet, and he thought, perhaps I've said something that he doesn't agree with. And he tapped Mr. Tennant on the knee, and he asked him, well, Brother Tennant, you're the oldest one here among us. Do you not rejoice to think that your time is so near at hand when you will be called home? And the old man answered rather bluntly, No, I don't wish that I was in heaven. Well, that took everyone by surprise, and someone said, What do you mean? And he replied, I have nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can and as well as I can and serve my Savior as faithfully as I can until he thinks it's time to call me home. George Whitfield was gently rebuked, but he was also given the energy by that gentle rebuke to continue his ministry with all the fervor that he had in his heart. I want to ask you today, how can you serve the Lord today? Is there someone who's lost that you know about by name that you can pray for? Maybe it's even someone that is at the store, you don't know their name, but you see them every so often as you check out. Is there someone that you can pray for who may need the Lord? Is there someone that you can love, someone that you can even share the gospel with today? Is there a way that you can serve God in your church today? Because God is at work in the hearts of the lost, and God is at work preparing a bride for His Son. How can you serve Him today?